Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole. And first off, I want to wrap off a few more thoughts on last week's episode because I got to hear a lot of y'all's perspectives on introversion versus extroversion over on social media, where we had a discussion about how your identity as more introverted or more extroverted or somewhere in the middle <laughs> affects your life as you move abroad and as you adjust to your new identity as an expat. So on the introverted side of things, a lot of you guys mentioned, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to make friends when you're not so inclined to go out or approach strangers or what have you. Some introverts brought up that they feel like they overthink things too much or can get a little too in their head about the whole move and adjustment. Uh, what I thought was really interesting was someone brought up language use. So as someone who's more introverted and less inclined to dive into a conversation, you might end up having less practice with the new language. On the other hand, a lot of extroverts expressed feeling like sometimes they were just too much for the people, especially those who live in more introverted societies. They can feel really out of place at times, and some people even said that they felt they were forced to become more introverted, especially in Germany, just because they couldn't fit in otherwise. And while a lot of extroverts said that it does make making friends easier, even abroad, some people said they still felt lonely at the end of the day, like they weren't finding maybe the right balance or they weren't finding the right amount of friends. So that was something that really stood out to me. On both sides, we all are struggling with finding the appropriate amount of friends <laughs> for ourselves. So that got me thinking that maybe that's sort of an inherent challenge with moving abroad or also maybe adulthood if we're if we're being honest. But I think that issue is compounded for sure by cultural barriers and language barriers, etc. As always, all that conversation is more is going on on social media. That's at the expat cast. All right, enough with last week. On to this week. <laughs> this week we were talking about my favorite thing in the world, which is reading and books. So I chatted with fellow podcaster and fellow bookworm and fellow Pennsylvanian, actually, <laughs> Stephanie. Stephanie was really the perfect person to talk to about reading because we have totally different stories of how we came to reading and what reading looks like for us, and we have totally different expat stories too. So Stephanie has lived all over East Asia over the past decade or so, and it was so interesting to hear how reading factored into her experiences in all these different places. And of course, I, as a librarian, had plenty of things to throw in there myself. All right, enjoy the episode. Uh, Stephanie Fuccio, uh, American passport. I lived overseas for the better part, but not all of the past 15 years. Uh, currently in Shanghai, China, two years this time around. And we are here to talk about books and reading. Yay! I'm so excited. <laughs> I always feel slightly obnoxious for just like plugging libraries into every single episode I've ever done, but this time I get full free reign. <laughs> This is great. <laughs> you are a librarian, right? Did I get Correct. That right? Yeah, I got my master's in library and information science because in the States, if you want to work in a public library, you pretty much have to. And have you always been a reader? I went from finding it incredibly frustrating to not being able to put books down. And yeah, I really struggled with learning to read, which I didn't remember until recently when I started to learn to read Mandarin Chinese all of these memories of learning to read and the difficulties came flooding back to me. And I went, oh, what? Because <laughs> I just remember cuddling up with the book 
in a corner on a couch, anywhere I could find that nobody would disturb me and just reading my whole childhood away. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so, so you're learning to read Mandarin Chinese. How far along in that process are you? Are you able to read like stories or are you still learning the basics? So I can read incredibly low level text incredibly slowly with a lot of time with my dictionary. <laughs> but you can do it. That's yeah. cool. Insanely cool. Every time I walk by something I've seen before and I can read it or I see it online and I go, oh, actually, I know 90% of that sentence. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> such a good feeling. Yeah. And yeah. so then switching back to English, you said you were basically a reader your whole childhood. Then yeah. how, how did that work when you first moved abroad? Well, it's, it's a lot of jumping back and forth at first because um, I'm, I'm Graduated from university, but rather relatively late at 30, wanted to work overseas and companies were like, why would you leave the US? No, that's not happening. <laughs> so I had to kind of piece together. I felt I had to, to live overseas, piece together what I was going to do. So I ended up kind of backpacking and working in hostels and, and doing different things like that. So that part of the super unstable backpacker existence was in like Italy for about two months and then went to Ireland and I was following jobs, not necessarily exactly where I wanted to be so uh and then I came back to the U.S. because I ran out of money then I went to Eastern Europe to Czech Republic and Hungary and then up to Scotland again following jobs I would go to libraries in some of those places but that wasn't as big of a book environment for me because I was moving around so much and I didn't buy a lot of books because it was extra weight in the one backpack so the biggest shift was when I first moved to Asia, when I moved to Taiwan in 2003, and I knew I was going to be there for a year. And I, I made my local friend, I was like, I want to go to the local library. And she just looked at me like, she's teaching me how to count to, to 10. And she's looking at me like, you can't read anything, but she's way too polite to say that. <laughs> and I remember going to the library, going to their English language section, and seeing that it was like two things, <laughs> English language, learning materials, and children's books. Did you end up checking anything out? Well, I did I did go through the process of getting the card and checking out a couple of like learning Chinese books. But then I, I returned them without really reading a lot of them because they were just, they were not very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I relied more on bookstores than on the library in Taiwan. There was an incredible bookstore. And I'm really happy to see not only is it still in Taiwan, but it's actually branched out into mainland China too. It's called Eslit, E-S-L-I-T-E. And this place is like, not just like heaven of books, but they have a stationary section to rival any Japanese stationary section. Would you say when you were growing up, were you more, I, I feel like there's like the library kids and then there's the bookstore kids. <laughs> or there's some people who do, uh, who do both. I truly don't remember any bookstores. I was a kid in the ancient times, pre-Barnes and Noble. So <laughs> I really, truly don't remember any bookstores in our, I, I lived in a small town in Pennsylvania for most of my childhood. And I remember libraries, especially the main library in downtown Lancaster. I remember it just being multiple stories and that being really exciting. Because huh? as a kid, I loved to read, but I also wanted to run upstairs. So that was like a dual happiness yes. moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that I would ask if we would go, whatever branch we went to I would like show them my library and go how many books can I check out <laughs> like, I want to be here with the stack <laughs> that's like a pretty big change too because I was also a library kid also a Pennsylvania library kid and um 
up in Pennsylvania? Was it Western? I grew up in um, outside Philadelphia in the suburbs. Um, and my family was definitely, we were, we were library kids. My mom is a huge library person. And um, they're also, both of my parents are, um, are very conservative with money. And so they just were not, they were, why would you spend $20 on a book when you can go to the library and get it for free? Like that just did not, you know, unless maybe it's your yeah. favorite book or, or something, but you know, Harry Potter when it was coming out, stuff like that yeah. for sure. And as a gift for sure. But I, I had friends who, when they wanted to read a book, they would go to the bookstore and buy it. And that was just not my, my well, way. I don't know if my dad was not an avid reader. My mom read stuff, but very slowly, very casually, just kind of pick up and read a page, put it down kind of thing. So I'm not sure why we went to so many libraries, but I'm really glad that we did. But I, honestly, I've been racking my brain this whole time, Nicole, trying to think of one bookstore in, uh, in the town I grew up in. <laughs> I can't remember one. There must have been one. But I'm guessing because it was like a, th- a town of like 40,000. It wasn't even a town. It was a borough of 40,000 people. There was a downtown that had like five businesses. And none of them were bookstores. So I don't, I don't know. Mm. But for me, I think that's like a huge shift of mindset. Then when you move abroad, if you're a library person, but the library is not fulfilling what you're looking for, then you sort of have to become a bookstore person. In terms of the book culture, like I get there's much bigger cultural shifts going on in the experience of moving abroad. However, I would argue that having to make that switch is kind of a significant one if books are a part of your life. You know, you can't buy 12 and try them out and put them down if you don't like them. You have to sort of commit. Yeah. And seeing at the time, seeing a lot of the people around me, especially the young people, seeing the only things that they were reading were like study materials for their courses. And like, I rarely at that time saw, I mean, this is 2003, I'm sure with Kindles and things, it's, it's probably changed, but I rarely saw people with paper books reading for, for pleasure. It was very much so reading to get a good grade, to get a good job. It was very, very methodical reading. And I was like, where's the pleasure readers? Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> That's the thing that I'm experiencing <laughs> here too. I, in the library where I'm working now, I'm continually amazed that the nonfiction section is two and a half, three stories. And the fiction section yeah. is half of a story. So I don't know the exact numbers, but the emphasis is far more on the nonfiction. And you know, and you notice that in the people and even, you know, friends, when they do talk about reading, there are a lot of times talking about nonfiction. And when they do read fiction, Germans tend to read krimis, they're called. So like suspense stories, crime stories. And they have a huge mm. appetite for that. And it is infrequent that you experience people looking for much else so when I worked in the American library in town if we had Germans come in they were typically like can you recommend a good crimi and I was like I don't really know how to explain to you like there are some but it's not the the depth that you're thinking of and I would have to try to like steer them to I don't know literary um, stories or romances or whatever historical fiction all these other genres but they're really they're like they're just not interested. That's a really, really good point. Yeah, like what categories are popular, what places kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, my experience in the yeah. States is that people have a pretty diverse group of interests in terms of reading. So one person might stick to one genre, but the collective community is is pretty much across the board. But I would yeah. say nonfiction is is less so. Only if it's written in a more storytelling way are are those you know the memoirs or what have you um more appealing okay that's super interesting wow and and i'm trying to i noticed recently i i in my in my time living in germany i've I've had so many moments of like 
I should read more of this type of book or that type of book. And a lot of these should statements that I'm trying to catch myself on. But one that I'm doing right now, I don't know, I'm ignoring my own goal to not listen to these shoulds. But I was like, I should read more nonfiction. So I just checked out two from the library. I just finished one last night. It was pretty good. But I was like, this was very, it wasn't like, I'm going to sit down and read before bed. I mean, that's what I was doing anyway, but it wasn't that atmosphere, you know, it was like, this is a person trying to explain information to you. And I found it very unappealing. So the next one I just started, um, I have it right here. What is it? It's called Educated by Tara Westover. And on the on the bottom right, it says, um, it's got a little blurb from Barack Obama. He called it a remarkable memoir. So we'll see. I'll trust, I'll trust Barack on this one. I'm hoping it's a little bit more... Um, <laughs> memoir oriented but I'm kind of having a hard time with it and I'm noticing the things that other people are reading that are nonfiction are definitely more like serious I guess like they're more they're not so interested in storytelling and I'm like yeah okay so I can sort of compromise I'm like I'll read nonfiction but I'm still gonna read the nonfiction that I want ever since audiobooks started I've kind of even when there were like tapes in the library I would get like tapes and then like cds or tapes depending on I've been through like all of the stages of things at this point um so I get like different versions of things but audiobooks I clung on to early but I definitely would categorize what I would listen to like fiction I used to love to read I want the book I want the pages I want to smell the damn thing I want that physical book but like more practical things like in my 20s when I moved to LA I wanted the self-help stuff in audio form so I could walk around outside because it was so pretty and listen to how I need to improve (laughs) and and like autobiographies, especially if they're read by the author, I really like listening to. I like a mix of, of written and, and audio. So have you stuck with the audio thing through all these transitions, through tape, CDs, and now digital streaming or downloads? No, actually, because in 2006, when I lived in Vietnam, that's when podcasts kind of started. Like they were online audio files. So you had to like download them and put them on your MP3 player. But I could carry around audio then in a very small form. So I started to do that. I have to do a little library plug right now because a lot of people don't know that there's a service called Overdrive that a lot of public libraries offer, which gives you, I mean, it's basically like a normal library service, except it's digital ebooks and e-audiobooks. And so a lot of times when people are like, I'm paying however much per month for Audible, I am, I, I barge myself right into that conversation. I'm like, wait, I mean, you can spend that money if you want to, but... Yes, yes, you have it. You got Hoopla. Hoopla. <laughs> yes, the San Francisco Library one. Yes, and I'm, great. I'm very much so probably not supposed to still be using it. But I check there first, and if they don't, don't have it, then I use my Audible credits. Yes, that's but what yeah, I was... they have movies and TV shows and books and audiobooks and so much stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, so Hoopla and Overdrive are the two big ones. And that is what I was going to say, actually. For people living abroad, if you still have your public library card for back, from back in the States, they tend, if you live in a bigger city, they might be more on top of it because they're used to people moving. And so they do get on top of their expiration dates better. But a lot of them don't. And sort of willingly so, too, um, so that if people are traveling, they can still use their public library. So if you have a public library card, for a library in the States, you can still use it and that's fine. And if you don't yeah. still have a public library card, but you know someone who does, just get their login, just get their login. I think I can say that now that I'm not working at libraries in the States. Um, <laughs> professionally speaking, don't do that. But as a person in the world, I'm telling you, you should do it because it's such a great money saver and it's such a nice, I mean, if you like e-content, it's great. It's such a lifeline for stuff because there's, it's either 
really hard to find or really expensive if you have to, if you have to do all of that paying for it online if you can even download it there are some places where it's difficult to get your credit card to go through and to download if the wi-fi is not fast enough or things are happening it doesn't download but this one is is beautiful so have you would you say you were able to to stay a reader throughout your various moves in the last 14 years um no because there there were bits where it had to slow down because there wasn't a lot of content for example when we were in japan the first time we were there in tokyo we were in this neighborhood uh, called Huchu, and um, their local library was this tiny little, it wasn't that big, but they had a really big uh, English section, and it had so much more than just like the language learning books, and they had like almost every category that existed in Japanese existed in English. Wow. They had the history and the fiction section and like all of this really cool stuff that I was like oh and we were only there for three months and I'm like that's not enough time we need to send our contracts so yeah. I can use this library <laughs> wow that's amazing though I mean that's that's something I think about so often because I I'm lucky enough to live in a place with an American cultural center with a library and it's not huge, but it's plenty. And, you know, I've been, one of my other shoulds has been, I should only be reading in German to, you know, to really immerse myself and, and get better faster. And it just doesn't work when you force feed yourself like that. So I'm trying to get a better balance of allowing myself to read in English when I want to. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that I can go there and, fulfill that desire is huge. It's huge. And I mean, yeah. the library work at does have some English books, but it's like four shelves. I mean, partially because they know there's another library in town that does it more than, you know, so they don't need to. Um, but exactly. yeah, but I think about all the time, I'm like, what would my experience be without that? Because it's been so vital in me feeling still like me. Reading has always been a comfort experience for me. And when I'm having a tough time or when I'm having a good time or basically any <laughs> any mood that I'm experiencing, I, I turn to reading. And of course, moving abroad, ex you experience a wider range of emotions than you previously were. And to not have that yes. comfort item and not have that sort of almost like a medicine, you know, that, that strategy <laughs> to self-soothe would be tough. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so relevant. I was listening to this podcast a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about these reading wars in the U.S. and how they're fighting over how they're teaching children to read. And what's happening is that the kids are falling through the cracks while they're having this war. And a lot of the not not legitimate war, but, you know, they're just they're arguing over the methodology. And so a lot of kids are graduating without being able to read. And I'm like, wait a minute, you mean these kids are going through their teenagehoods and their young adulthoods and their, and their adolescents? not having books to fall on when they feel a little bit like disgruntled or whatever the word is or lost or kind of like they need some sort of like character to look up to or like really they can't read their way through that stuff yeah skills are so crap because of you guys fighting over how they should learn mm -hmm. ah and then like you said as an expat especially the first year in a new place is really tricky you need some sort of stabilizing force to to help you when you hit those bumps yeah definitely and it's so funny because there's yeah. so many things that I learned in library school about reading development and about language learning mm -hmm. that I'm suddenly mm -hmm. having to turn in on myself and that's one of them is you know we were I consider it lucky enough to be in the library community where we're not primary educators and I think I mean they, they have a different goal and I understand that they have different strategies to get there and I don't know enough to really argue one way or the other within that world but as a librarian we were taught 
reading is good and it does not matter what you're reading or how you're reading e-reading comic books audiobooks these all count as reading and it is really important to make sure people understand that and accept that and the young adult literature scene especially in the states is amazing right now there's so much there but because it's about people kids in situations that are not um primarily educational in someone's Mm -hmm. definition people don't want to consider that as Mm -hmm. real reading and it's important to make sure people understand like that still counts and that is a huge thing psychologically and developmentally to have characters that you can turn to either as escapism or to see yourself reflected back Mm -hmm. and I sort of theoretically knew this through my schooling and then now I'm in this situation where I'm really the one in need of this stuff and I'm able to hide to myself and with language learning too I mean I we were taught specifically how and why there are books for kids from zero to adulthood right and what happens at these Mm -hmm. different stages that makes the books different that make them better for the learner and at some point of learning German I was like what am I doing trying to read adult novels I'm not an adult reader in German so I finally went back to like reading comic books or not picture books because this is a a, like common misconception picture books actually have a much harder vocabulary than most novels even adult novels if you look at the challenging the the level of the lexicon the words right so what you want to do is then go for the early reader books, the ones for five or six year olds who are just learning to read independently. And so that's where I started going to with German. But now I'm actually, since I'm working in a library where people expect me to have certain cultural cornerstones, I'm having to go back and read in German specifically to target these areas that everyone here knows. Like I'm sitting here right now with a book next to me called Jim Knopf and Lucas der Lokomotive. So that's like Jim <laughs> Jim Button and Lucas, the dri- the train driver. But Jim Knopf, yeah. Jim Button is apparently the cornerstone of, of childhood stories. I've never heard of the dude, but everyone here has. Wow. <laughs> so I'm trying to, you know, to read up so I can learn that. And then um, it's also developmentally appropriate for my reading skills. So as much as I just said, I'm trying not to like should myself, but I'm like, okay, it would be good. And I, and it's nice. It's fun to learn, you know, what the classics are in a different country. Well, then you get the, not joke, inside jokes, but like the, the references that people use. Yeah, exactly. Do they have wow, um, so cool. English translations of Chinese classics that you can read until you're at the point where you can read them independently? Oh, massively, yeah. And Shanghai is a tier one city, which means it gets more funding than a lot of the other cities in China. And Shanghai, kind of the commercial hub, but it's also got this really strong art side that you probably, nobody would really necessarily put their finger on when they were for, if they were just traveling through for a few days. There's a super strong book community. There's a super strong writing community, literature community. There's at least five or six like, uh, WeChat's our app of choice. Um, I know you said WhatsApp is, is most commonly used in Germany. Uh, WeChat's the one most commonly used in China and there's a lot of groups. And there's at least five or six different kind of book and reading groups. Like um, chat groups? Shanghai alone. Um, well, they meet in person. Like some oh, of them are cool. book clubs, some of them do live uh, readings. They put out literary journals of different types of art mostly text-based, but there's some visual stuff in them. And there's just, there's a really, really big, uh, I want to call it a word community. Because <laughs> it's not just book, yeah. really, really big community in Shanghai. And the vast majority of it that I have access to right now is in English. And I imagine there's a Chinese language side to it. I just can't, re- I just can't do that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you been able to meet friends and stuff through that as well? Oh yeah, I met a lot of people through it. Yeah, wow. yeah. It's just tough because there's there's so many groups that it's so hard. 
with like work and and everything else and then there's like tons of groups and they're usually a lot of things are on the same night it's like there'll be all like two or three things happening Saturday afternoon so what, what happens is that there's a lot of bookstores not so many libraries as you have with a lot of on the books communist countries but a lot of bookstores and a fair number of them carry English language materials that's great do you ever like sort of import your own books like when you when you do visit back to the states or anywhere else that has English books for sale do you have you like built up your own personal library I've never been someone to keep a lot of books uh I tend to to rent or listen and then pass on or give back kind of thing so um I do have to buy some of them for book clubs here because they are not at the library and I the only way to read them to to go to the meeting is to actually buy them at the bookstore so I've collected a little bit which makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) Having said that, when we lived in other places, like when we lived in Vietnam and then went to Thailand for vacation, I brought a ton of books back because there were lots and lots and lots of bookstores of of probably not so legally copied stuff that were available (laughs) in the backpacker areas. And I would just like stock up and bring them back to me and hope that they get through customs. (laughs) Did you ever try eBooks? Yeah, I I can't get into eBooks. Yeah, me neither. I also developed an eye problem the last time I was in China in 2010. So computer reading of any sort is a little bit challenging. So I have to kind of limit my computer time and my screen time. But even before that, I just couldn't get into, like, I like clicks when I type, but I don't like clicks when I'm reading. And I don't know why that exists, but that's how my brain works. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm really similar. I recently, though, the library where I work, they do classes on tablets and e-readers, um, and I attended one as part of my training and I realized the technology really got a lot farther than the last. Like, so I tried a, I tried a Barnes Noble Nook back in like 2011, but since then they've sort of diverged. So there's like the tablets where the, the lighting is very similar to computers, but there are the e-readers, which is what the Nook was, but it was, like I said, a very early generation one and it was kind of awful. Now they've gotten a lot better and those have a different lighting structure that are much easier on the eyes. So I, I have this yeah. moment of like, maybe I should give it another try because in terms of access now, you know, if I still was living in the States, I never would have done it. But there's something different about how it looks and how it feels when it's in a paper book. Yeah. And they, I mean, the studies do show that in terms of memory and retention, the, the physical book is still better no matter how good the technology is, e-readers or tablets mm-hmm. or what have you but but I know a lot of people who they prefer physical books but they travel a lot or they live abroad somewhere where they don't have access and so then they did sort of teach themselves to become e-reader people and I sort of in some ways wish that I was experiencing that but as I said I'm in a place where I have enough access to physical items it's not an issue but yeah I just I haven't been able to sell myself on it despite my best efforts (laughs) I'm really glad that the technology changed as it did. I'm glad podcasts came about. I'm glad audiobooks came about just as my eyesight was getting worse. <laughs> I can rely on those. Like the worse it gets, the, the better the technology gets. So I can kind of like ease my way out of paper books without having to go to the digital books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I've sort of thought about that too with my, my self-pressure to read more nonfiction. Um, I'm like, well, I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts, which is essentially audio nonfiction. Yeah. Maybe it sort of fills that need. You yeah. know, who knows? <laughs> hey, do you, do you write in your books a lot? I am not a book writer because I'm a library person. And so you can't because you have to return them. But I know that's my boyfriend um, has 
recently gotten really into reading and he he buys his books because he he has a two highlighter plus a pen system for writing notes and he also has a notebook that he yeah he's like very um strategic about it I guess but again he's reading more like nonfiction, like um sort of self-helpy books like uh business development kind of books where he is trying to retain pertinent information so I've seen that modeled and I'm that's also part of why I'm trying to read more nonfiction because he's having such an enriching experience with it and I'm like oh I would like to also be enriched (laughs) but um yeah I mean I couldn't afford buying my own books I'm now recently with my new job maybe I can start exploring that but financially it just wasn't an option and so I never personally what about you always uh the trick with library books for me was post-it notes oh okay always have a, a th- thick amount of post-it notes at the back of the book I just keep them in there and whenever I needed to write something I would just take one out put it on that page and just write all over it huh. but then of course when I returned the books to the library then I would have all these post-it notes and I don't know what I do with all the notes and so then, were these your thoughts yeah. in your reflections that you were writing oh my god my sometimes I would kind of write to the writer like why the heck did you do that or <laughs> wait what is this I thought I would look something up later. I have various notebooks and documents on my computer that I've started that are like quote collections because I do mostly read fiction and I do love a good real gut punching quote and so I try to collect them and mm-hmm. I, I never had a strategy that I really stuck to so I just have these very like I'll occasionally just find a little notebook that has four quotes from some random book and I'm like what <laughs> yeah I can't do it in a separate book it doesn't have the same interactive experience for me it has to be yeah. right there I have to actually circle the part that I'm, that yeah. I'm talking well actually no I couldn't have circled it if I was using the post-its I think I put it next to it with an arrow or something it's been a long time since I've done that because now I have to buy the physical books and now that's the thing I have to buy these books for book club because they're paper books in my hands I write all over them and then I can't pass them on because <laughs> I've written all over them and that's like a piece of my soul yeah <laughs> yeah I especially when I was um a teenager I wrote my books a lot then and, and this was very much like me being a teen and being like oh this book gets me like this is so deep and whatever but it, like looking back the stuff that I was pointing out is pretty embarrassing and like really like emo for a kid who had it super easy and um someone went through my bookshelf recently because they wanted to borrow something and they were like yeah you highlighted a lot of stuff and, and I looked back at it later and I was like oh my god yeah no I, I can't <laughs> I had to realize like oh okay when they're borrowing a book they're actually going to learn something about my adolescent psychology fun <laughs> I have a feeling that what I'm highlighting or circling in the books that I'm reading now about China, they're like fiction, the fiction stories translated mm-hmm. into English. I have a feeling a lot of them I'll look back in like a few years if I still have the books and I'll be like, hmm, so you're going through that culture shock at that point, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think on a personal level, it's really fun to look back and see what was calling out to you. But yeah, you're right. It's like a little capsule of your soul and it's... They bring something with that. If you're going to pass it on to someone, you have to really trust that person's <laughs> ability to. Yeah. And they don't, like, if I say, oh, just when you're done, like, normally when I didn't write in them, I'd be like, hey, you just pass it on to somebody else. I don't need it back. But if, if I've written in them and they pass all my notes to somebody I don't know, that feels weird to me. Yeah. Deep insights and they don't even know who I am. With your book club uh, topic, I also wanted to mention there is, I I follow on Instagram, the Expat Book Club. Do you know them? I follow them on Instagram, but I haven't actually been able to catch up with and do any of the things that they're doing. Are you a a member of that group? I 
have the exact same little personal interaction with it. I follow them on Instagram. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that looks like a great book. Oh, I'd love to go. So the basic structure is they announce a book and then at a certain date, they have a live chat where they Mm. all sort of from all over the world talk about it. And I think it's amazing. And I remember finding it and being like, this is great. And I've never been able to follow through. I've been rethinking it because there's there's two main book clubs I'm in right now. One focuses just on books about China by Chinese authors. And it's been amazing. But I find the places they pick are a little loud for me because I'm getting old. So I don't know that I can participate as much as I'd like because I can't hear a lot of what's going on. <laughs> and the second one, it's, it's a mix. Both groups are a mix of foreigners and locals. But the, the second one, they tend to read a lot of stuff I read in high school. Huh. And I don't really want to read a lot of white male books that I grew up on that I kind of had my own reading. Like I could diversify it in high school because like, okay, I have to read this for class. I can read this for fun. Right. But if I'm reading in my free time for the book club and it's that same stuff that I had to read, it feels restrictive and not right. exactly what would expand my world. And then I feel like I have to be the representative of my culture when, when it's book club time because if it's an American book, then I have to be one of the Americans there explaining American culture. And I'm like, ah, I want to learn something new. <laughs> right, right. That's something that gets really exhausting with living abroad where you're like, I'm just trying to be a person, not a representative. And so those moments where you're sort of forced to be representative and not through any, like there's no bad guy making you do it. It's just the nature of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like we just did a book that was like, I missed two meetings because it was like, British author, American author, and I'm like, not really, really interested. And then they did an Indian author, amazing book, and none of us are Indian. There weren't any Indians in the group. And so it was great for a large part of the meeting. We were all talking about our experiences with that culture in that book and the story. And there wasn't any of that your culture, my culture stuff. And it was like, oh, it's such a lovely, lovely place. Oh, that's so cool. But with that, we should round the corner and head to home with our ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. So that's. Huh? Are you ready? <laughs> I can, I'll try. I'll try. They're booking. I'll spoil I'm not it. Good, it's spontaneous, but I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you three questions. You're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking. Just go with your gut. All right. Okay. First one. What is one book that you can read and reread and not get tired of? Global Soul, Pico Ayer. Very good. There was a song I really liked when I was younger, and one of the lyrics was, give your life to literature, just don't read Jane Eyre. And for some reason, I thought that was really great, this whole idea of like, give yourself to it, but that book sucks. So what's one book that you would plug in instead of Jane Eyre, or maybe Jane Eyre? What's one book that we should all just skip? Oh, boy. Um, I hate to say it, because there is some serious beauty in it, but but anything by Shakespeare, I feel like is really overdone in the U.S., like Ham, Hamlet and Macbeth and all that, we did so many times that we missed a lot of world literature that has very interesting perspectives. So if I can cheat, anything by Shakespeare. Oh, no, that's great. And it fits into the lyrics. So I'm, I'm singing the song in my head right now. It's like, give your life to literature. Just don't read Shakespeare. Works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And last one. Describe your ideal reading environment in three words. Three words? Yeah. Okay. Uh. Three words. Comfy chair coffee. Perfect. <laughs> Mine too. Man, that's <laughs> I know you did good though. <laughs> so those are your sucks, sucks, sucks. That was our book talk. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> 
Thank you again, Stephanie, for coming onto the show. Links to Stephanie's different projects and podcasts can be found in the show notes. I also want to remind everyone to go ahead and take a moment to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really does not take long. You don't have to write a whole novel about how great the show is, though, though of course you certainly can. <laughs> All we need is a quick little note, what you like, couple stars, maybe five, and it helps us out a whole bunch. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at The Expat Cast, or drop us a line at theexpatcast at gmail.com. Thank you as always to Gordon Eisenach, my partner in podcasting and in life, to Amy Lungy Art for the logo, and to Sidehug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. Next week, we're going to be back in your feeds with a very special Valentine's Day themed episode. We're going to talk about long distance relationships. Until then, have a great week and a great start to your February.